What's up, gamers? I'm Tori Dominguez Peak. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. It's the podcast for gamers who only like to play games that have like a thousand numbers on the screen. Yeah. I don't but- I don't want to play a game unless I have nine different gear levels and three different currencies. If it does not look like an Excel spreadsheet, I don't (laughs) want it. If it doesn't look like an Excel spreadsheet or Marvel's The Avengers or Destiny, don't even put it in front of me. I don't want to play. Yeah, absolutely. So (laughs) we're coming back from a short break. Uh, We had a pretty busy last week. Uh, Shout out to Noah who got engaged. I got Fire Emblem engaged. Yeah. Yeah, you got Fire Emblem engaged. Colon engage. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very um, much. Not on the Fire Emblem game, but on your future matrimony. You can Thank you. join the, the you. married married bitches club. What um, wife guy incoming? Yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a podcast with a wife guy and a husband guy. It's gonna be yeah, a good time. Gonna be really exciting. <laughs> um, but because of that, and because of just like general light news, we're gonna be talking more about what we've been playing. But we'll we'll just go over some recaps the past couple weeks. Um. The first bullet on the list is this Tales of Symphonia remaster, remake, re-hot mess. It's bad. Um, I've been looking at videos of this, and I don't know how it's possible to make it worse, looking worse than the GameCube game. Yeah. But somehow it does. And I'm, I'm just very confused about that, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting because I was doing some reading about this. When we're by the time this episode is out, the switch port of Tales of Symphonia will be live. People will be able to buy it. And I was reading about like some of the issues that are in this game, like the fact that the frame rate is not that good. And the fact that there's like missing dialogue, like there was a there's a pretty good video from a good vibes gaming on YouTube where they kind of like showed off some of the weird issues in this game, because some of it just amounts to like. You remember when the Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9 ports came out on the Switch and there was that glitch where it was like in the old games, the way the overworld music worked was like when you got into a random encounter, when you got out, it would resume the overworld music from where you were. But it had a glitch where it was like the music would start over every time you got out of the random encounter. So Uh, you were like you were never hearing the end of the random encounter. And I think they patched that. And so, like, some of the issues in this port seem to be that level where it's, like, not game breaking. It's just frustrating because it's like, this is a GameCube game. Why can't you get it to run well? Yeah, this is a 20 year old game. Um, Just, like, really disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. And the, some of the mistakes are, like, I was looking at one video where they were showing there's, like, missing dialogue. And it has something to do what? with, like, the way they've ported over the localization. And there's just, like... There's just like whole text boxes and voice lines that are just not there. And it might not be anything that like completely breaks the story, but it definitely is weird. And this is also apparently an issue that was present in the last port. So this game was previously ported to like the PS3 and Steam. And at the time, I think the PS3 port got like like okay reviews, but the Steam port was busted. And I think it has since been patched, but it was like, why didn't you learn anything from this? Yeah. You know, it's just it's just fascinating. And it kind of makes me because I was interested in this game. Like I was considering purchasing this. Yeah. Um, Because I have like watched the tales of games played before and I've always been interested in them as a 
JRPG uh, Excel spreadsheet lover. And this one seriously put me off. And now it's made me like a little more wary of remasters and remakes. Not really remakes, but you know, ports. Yeah. And yeah, it's just just a big old bummer. Um, it's also, I think the thing that is so especially frustrating about it is that it's coming out like within a week of the Metroid Prime remaster coming out. Which is was, a good one. That was billed as a port, but is basically a remaster of that game. Yeah. So you have like a one that was overselling itself and one that yeah. was underselling itself. I do like when Met- Metroid is like, oh, just a little port, just like as, yeah. as a treat. And then they came out with like, there's like new assets in there. It's like a yeah. borderline remake. It's so. like a new game. They like totally. I was listening to the latest episode of uh, Video Game Podtimism. I was actually going to bring this up when we talked about what we were playing, but we're talking about Metroid now. I was going to ask if you had any interest in playing Metroid Prime because absolutely, I think, yeah, yeah, I, I do. The thing they said on Video Game Podtimism that like I own this on the GameCube, but I've never gotten more than like an hour in. I picked it up real cheap when I was a kid. Um, and I know they've like totally changed the controls because on the GameCube, you know yeah. how like the game Oof. with the C stick, you could like almost do twin stick shooting, but not quite. But not really. You kind of had to stay in one place while you shot. It was yeah, the C stick was more of like a nub than it really was a full joystick. But yeah. the the switch controls have like basically turned it into a twin stick shooter. But the thing they said in Podtimism was that where Metroid Dread feels like a game that like your exploration feels anxiety driven like gotta get away from the big the scary robot or gotta get powerful enough yeah. to beat the scary robot this game feels like curiosity driven everything from like a new paradigm for the metroidvania style and also like just neat environments that really inspire you to want to explore and i was like this sounds very up tori's alley yeah that that definitely sounds up my alley i did enjoy dread but like Man, they really, they really meant dread, like in the, in the title. <laughs> it should have me uneasy. Like whenever I walk into a new new room and I hear that fucking like blah 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 clicking yeah. sound. I don't remember what it was. The like Wally it, noises. Yeah, beep, it's like R two D two sounds. Honestly, <laughs> I was like, oh my fucking god, do you really want to do this today? Um. <laughs> so I, I definitely enjoy Metroid Prime's approach. My only beef is that like. I've never been like a first person shooter person and Metroid Prime is basically a first person shooter in a Samus suit. So like I don't know how much I fuck with that. I do remember playing Metroid Prime 3 on the Nintendo Wii as a kid. I got like the trilogy on the Wii and I never Oh yeah. I never barely touched it cuz I decided to play 3 because mm-hmm. I was like a 10 year old like an idiot and I was like well you 3 like- will have like the best <laughs> it'll be the best it's 3 you know, it's the biggest number and I remember playing it and like I don't know if it was the motion controls of the Wii but mm-hmm. I got like motion sickness oh, like, wow. I had to lay down after so I don't know um but like the the Wii controller was like fucked up anyway so like <laughs> that's that's interesting you say that because like I think in 90% of the uh, the times when it was used, the Wii controller was pretty spotty. But I have heard people say that, like, compared to the original GameCube controls, the Wii controls for Metroid Prime were, like, preferable. So I'm really interested to hear, like, yeah. how people who really cut their teeth on the Wii versions of these games are liking the Switch controls. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. I'm also curious when people say switch controls, like are they playing with Joy Cons? Because yeah, like true. I play I play with a pro controller. 
Like mm-hmm. I got Jesse gave me a pro controller as a gift a couple years ago, and like you, yeah, you you have to pry that out of my dead hands. I'm like, no, it's awesome. It's awesome. Joy Cons, I, really or, I don't even, I don't know her. <laughs> so that's pretty much uh, all I have to say about Metroid Prime. But I, I really do want it, and I'm also a big fan of it. Only being forty bucks, I'm glad that they did not try to pull like the seventy dollar shit yet. Yeah, that's that's with, nice on that. But yeah, so Mortal Kombat, what's this about? This is uh, literally earlier today when we were recording this. Apparently, there was a Warner Brothers Discovery earnings call that was going on. Mm. And at some point during the call, someone let slip. Oh, yeah. Mortal Kombat 12 is coming out this year. So that's the thing that's happening. I don't know. I feel like uh, I've never been a huge Mortal Kombat guy, but Mortal Kombat 12, Street Fighter 6 and Tekken 8 all coming out within like a year and a half of each other is kind of fun. I don't know. The, nice. uh, the, the fighting games that have so far been shown off for the PS5. I don't know if you've been paying attention to like the gameplay videos for Street Fighter and Tekken, like they look fucking nuts. Yeah, I was I saw some of those, but they they do look really cool. I saw one that was for um what was it? Well, I, I always can I always confuse Street Fighter and Tekken for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they just like showed one at the state of play today. And I, oh, really? I like remember seeing the characters. Yeah, Street Fighter 6, they introduced three new characters. Um Zangief lily and cammy okay and they look cool there's some some girl bosses there are some girl bosses yeah i don't know wake me up when uh soul caliber 7 gets announced i'm gonna i'm snoozing until a new soul caliber gets announced dude oh my god (laughs) you just like woke up a recessed memory so fucking love soul caliber i fucking love soul caliber we had the gamecube one where like link was in there yeah and then we had the xbox one where you could be yoda yeah um this is probably one of one of the the more cringy aspects of my childhood, but like my my very uh my bisexual ass was like replaying all the Ivy storylines because she had big titties. No, I'm not kidding. I did that. Real facts. Um, That's so funny. Yeah, there's some real there's some real hotties in Soul Calibur. The other one, um, just spitballing of like hot girls in fighting games but like my brother had this game that i have not thought about in 15 years Mm -hmm. until i saw someone like reference it in a tweet last week dead or alive do you ever yeah do you play that or have yeah well to be fair dead or alive's like whole billing was that it was going to be like jiggle physics the fighting game you know yes literally yeah Yeah, my brother had that for like the xbox for the 360 Mm mm-hmm and um, yeah, that was like literally the entire appeal. Do they even make those anymore? They still I make Dead or Alive. I don't think they've made a Dead or Alive game in a long time. I'm looking this up. I do know. I mean, you're aware that there's like a whole spinoff series from that fighting game that's beach volleyball, right? Yes. Okay. But I was just thinking of like Dead or Alive, like old school fighting games according to yeah according to wikipedia dead or alive 6 released for the ps4 in 2019 oh i remember this so they released a free-to-play version of it that only had a few characters because this was peak like how can we monetize the shit out of stuff and people didn't like it very much yeah i'm trying to look up what was the one that my brother had it's just like pre 2000 and 
Not I'm me. trying. I think Dead or Alive three might have been the big one on like the Xbox. Xbox, because, yeah, yeah. There was one of them that was like a Dreamcast release, but then they just ported it to the PS2 and the Xbox, and I had that on the PS2. The like really cool thing about Dead or Alive two is that the stages were really dynamic. So yeah. it was like if you pushed somebody to the edge of it, it would like knock them down to the next tier and it would do like a lot of damage on the yes. way going down. Yeah, yeah that, that was, was always really neat. Yeah, I mean, like I, I know I'm joking about like, haha, like big anime titty, whatever. But like, <laughs> no, you're well there within is, your rights. <laughs> yeah, but like there is like interesting things about that game's combat. And that was one of them that I remember. And mm. the other thing was like how kind of long the story was for each individual character. Like, mm mm-hmm. Every time you beat a character in that game, like you beat their storyline, yeah, there would be like a two to five minute long cutscene, like at the end. It was like, wow, like, and like, was it anything that substantial? Was it just like she goes to the beach and swims in her bikini, and you just see like bikini shots, probably? But it was like they really like built a thing, and you got attached to those characters. That's something I always think of with like, uh, with Soul Calibur too, because I feel like Soul Calibur always had such dense lore. I know Tekken's the same way. It's these yeah. they have like such dense lore. Yeah, and I'm like, like Ivy I had just want to swing a big sword. The you know? Dad died. Oh, remember that the fucking weird guy Voldo? Voldo, Voldo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's no. a that's a certified little freak. My sister and I, when we were growing up, would do Voldo versus Voldo games, where we would just like. We would do like these funny looking dance moves against each other. Yeah. Like it was it was good. It was a good yeah. game. Wow, this is making me want to like shmemulate Soul Calibur 2. The difficult um, thing though is it's like <laughs> they they've they kept up doing the thing with like the guest characters after Soul Calibur 2, but they quit being as zany as like Link or Yoda, you know? Like I'm pretty yeah. sure the guest character for Soul Calibur 6 was Geralt from The Witcher. Which is like that's so no he cool. he's just a guy he's no. just a fantasy guy yeah yeah like put Yoshi in there you know like <laughs> <laughs> put like put Deku from uh, anime <laughs> yeah seriously yeah they had what a, the fuck's they, the they had Ezio in there that is so fucking normie like I'm sorry okay wait now I take it back a little bit I pulled up the Wikipedia page for Soul Calibur six and I do see that two B from Near Automata was added as a DLC character okay, I like and that. that's pretty that's a little cool. goofy that's yeah. pretty cool as well as uh, the main dude from Samurai Showdown that's actually really cool too that is pretty cool I never yeah. played Soul Calibur six the last one I really played was four. And it was like, I, I played a little I, bit of five, but I, don't know. I played a little bit of five. Yeah. Six people didn't like that one as much. I remember that one because there is this um, YouTube channel called like Monster Creator. Do you remember this? Yeah. Monster Factory. Yeah. Monster Factory. Monster Factory did a Soul Calibur six episode. Yeah. And they just created the most like fucking atrocious like character. I remember like watching that on my phone when I was in high school, like <laughs> sending it to my brother and all my friends. I mean, like we have to get this game. And then we like never actually did. I rewatched the uh, the Monster Factory Second Life series like semi annually. Like I I just got to go back and watch the the Boy Mirror Second Life. That's like one of my faves from YouTube. Yeah, that's a classic. Real real classics. Um, I I did put a little space here for a state of play recap. I gotta say the state of play was a real miss. Yeah. Um, I mean, unless you're a Street Fighter fan, you got three new characters, as we just mentioned. Um, but everything else, like, I don't know, man. They were really trying to push like the the VR thing. 
Mm-hmm. And like, that's cool. I mean, I know people who really like that stuff. Like my 13 year old cousin, like has that headset on. I think he has an Oculus actually. He has it on like all the time after school. He actually like went on a date with a girl in VR. Really? So like he's like living in. Yeah, he's he's born in like 2009. Like that's a different generation, dude. Yeah, they're like built different. But like, it's just I don't know. It's not that VR isn't for me. Like, I I enjoy Beat Saber as much as the next guy, but, like, these games that they're advertising for it just look like shooters from 2012. (laughs) The only gimmick is that you wear a thing on your head now. And I'm just like, that's not really for me. I don't know. And that was, like, half of the state of play. I feel like most of what... I didn't watch this, but I saw, like, Twitter reacting to it a little bit. I feel like most of what I saw Twitter react to was the more of the gameplay reveal for the Suicide Squad game. And uh, the big complaint was that the Suicide Squad game looks like every other action game that has come out in the last couple of years where it just has like 90 different stats that you have to modify with different gears. And it's like, why does every game have to be like that? Like, I saw this tweet. This is from a Kotaku writer, Zach Zuizen. He said, Battle pass, gear score, loot, boring enemies, guns, guns, and guns. Bleh, what a shame. And I was like, why? (laughs) Like, these are the people that made the Arkham games. Yeah. Come on. Those games are real classics. Yeah, this this Suicide Squad game looked so, so bland. Like, a couple minutes into it, I was like, I'm done. Like, we can turn this off now. It's fine. One thing I noticed was uh, ever, ever the, the... purveyor of good takes jason schreier was like you know because it takes so long to develop games takes like six years seven years to crank one of these out Mm -hmm. these games are being made with trends that we perceive as outdated because it (laughs) took them so long to make it and so his argument was like this game would have slapped back in like 2015 yeah probably or even like 20 2018 you know like when uh like around the window that Marvel's Avengers was trying to originally release and like take advantage of this kind of destiny fever. But it's like, it's just insane to me that you can take a team like the Rocksteady Arkham team and you can put them in front of uh, an IP like the Suicide Squad that like in theory opens up the doors for them to just do more of what they were doing with the Batman games and go like, uh 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 we're gonna slap nine layers of uh different gear levels and loot and all this crap on top of it and also a battle pass it's like give me a break man. i know it's so lame it's very lame but yeah you were right i mean state of plays safe plays just don't hit the same as nintendo directs i gotta they're also, say yeah i think they're more hit or miss than nintendo directs are i feel like nintendo directs cover so much ground that even if the overall thing is a miss like like Professor Layton fans still come out the other end. Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, like even yeah. uh, an arguably like mid Nintendo Direct, there's always like we're pouring over this RPG from 2001 on the GameCube, and like yeah. a subsect of Twitter will go like ape shit. You know, yeah. like good for them. But these, I don't know, especially the whole VR chunk and the Suicide Squad chunk. I was like, who is this for exactly? Yeah. I don't know. I will admit too, like, I don't know, I guess you probably aren't experiencing this, but I'm starting to get to the point. I feel like I mentioned this one of the last couple of times we podcasted, like, uh, 
it's starting to reach the point in the PS5's life cycle where games are getting announced and they're not going to come to PS4. And I'll get uh, excited for a minute. And then I'm like, yeah, you know what? Fuck this, actually. Like, I was mm. really I was really looking forward to Jedi Survivor. And then I remembered that it's PS5 PC and the new flavor of Xbox. And I was like, ah, oh, never mind. You know, like, I'm not going to get to play that anytime soon. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. Yeah, you might. I hate to say it, but you might have to. You might have to consider. <sighs> I mean, yes. And like, I don't know. It, it really feels like. Like, I'm I have no doubt that we will eventually get to a point where everything being made for the PS5, it, it would drag the game down to make it for the PS4, too. But I have yeah. yet to see footage of a PS5 game that is not that is made graphically intense or like made hardware intensive by anything other than like a lighting engine. You know that it's like, can't I just get the option to turn the graphics down? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's a fair point. I mean, if the PS4 can still run a version of Elden Ring, right? I mean, yeah, that's that's the thing. I don't know. Ugh. I don't know. I do have a one more quick uh, a big if true here while I got gotcha. So this is this is a a hot scoop from r slash gaming leaks and rumors. This is a scoop that had come from a couple of places, and then it sounds like Game Ranks with an X, who I know they're on YouTube and they're kind of they're kind of all over the place. The Metal Gear Solid collection might be coming to Steam. And Ooh. I don't know, I feel like this is not that crazy of a potential scoop. I'm pretty sure MGS5 as well as Survive are on Steam and also like a lot like we are kind of in a heyday of previously console exclusives getting ported to steam but i feel like with the advent of the steam deck metal the metal gear solid collection on, on steam would be really sick mm, that would be and i would totally play it although yeah. i know jesse would also want to play like the mgs games on actually he tried he yes he played one or two of them he actually did try to emulate MGS2 on his Steam Deck recently, and mm -hmm. it like ran like absolute ass. Oh wow! And was not working well. So yeah, he would he would totally get into this. Yeah, yeah, they're such good games. I love the Metal Gear Solid games. Yeah, I would... I've wanted to play them myself too, but like trying to find physical copies of those for a PS2 or a PS1 is not worth it. I was, I mean, I would say, uh. Physical copies of the PS2 games are shockingly cheap still. Like, I think they were just I think they just made so many of them because there and there are also uh, there are multiple releases too. Yeah, it's like a Ocarina of Time cartridges are still like yeah. 30 bucks at the retro game store because yeah. it was like the best selling game of all time at the time. Yeah. So they're just floating around. I would say. I would say like there are multiple releases of MGS two and three on the PS two in the US. There was um, it they re released them with like some additional bug fixes and I think some additional side content. But the side content is really not like something that you need to experience the main story. I think it's all totally separate. And those are the substance and subsistence re releases. But like vanilla MGS two and three, like you could probably find disc copies for like 15, 20 bucks. Like it's really not that bad. So like if you have a PS2 at your disposal, 
I think it's MGS one that might be the tougher one. I think that might get into like the thirty forty dollar range because I've I've had my copy for a while. I don't know how much they cost nowadays, but MGS one is also like that one's been ported to the virtual console more times. So I don't know. Yeah. MGS one holds up great too. I like recently replayed that within the last couple of years, and it's it's still such a good game. Besides that, oh, the other thing I wanted to mention, a few days ago, there was a leak of the Collector's Edition art book of Tears of the Kingdom. <gasps> I, I, have I have chosen to not look at it. Did you look mm -hmm. at it? I looked at some stuff in it. Yeah, I didn't like go out of my way. I like opened up the article and like skimmed through some of it. And uh, I saw a few things. I mean, I wasn't looking. I wasn't looking hard enough to be like, oh, scrutinize. This must mean that this happened. It was more yeah. just like, hey, oh, cool. It looks like this kind of a race is going to be featured in this game and this kind of thing. But yeah, it looks it looks cool. I mean, yeah. there are a couple of things in there that I kind of chuckled at when I saw them, but I will I will hold my tongue and not say anything. Yeah, that's pretty much all we have. Um, do you want to get into what we've been playing? Yeah, let's take a quick break here and uh, listen to some tunes and we'll be right back. Hey, press start. I'm Alec from the band Palette Knife, and my favorite video game is Dark Souls. First off, the art direction is beautiful, and From Software is a masterclass in level design. But the thing that really keeps me coming back to the series is how the game continuously asks you to better your skills and your ability to problem solve through your build, while also punishing you for some bad gameplay decisions. Half the game is exploration focused and the other half is repeatedly throwing yourself at very challenging bosses until you've completely mastered a fight. And that sense of triumph via mastery is a feeling that we kind of set out to recreate when writing songs for our new album, New Game Plus, that really challenged our technical ability as musicians. Dark Souls is a game that teaches you you can overcome anything and that is why it's my favorite game. My bandmates and I really love video games and RPGs, if that wasn't obvious by now, um, but that inspired our allegorical Dungeons & Dragons song on our new record. Now here's Damn Sun, Dim Sum by Palette Knife.
what have we been playing? Uh, what have we been playing? Do you want to go first? Or <laughs> I want to know what Persona game you've been playing. <laughs> yeah, literally, bro. Um, I am flying through this one. I am in Okumura's Palace. That is Haru's Dungeon and Persona mm-hmm. 5 Royal. Um, as you mentioned to me before we hopped on this recording, neither of us remembered this dungeon. No. Um, so basically the lowdown is Haru is the daughter of a billionaire who runs a big company called Big Bang Burger. It's a famous burger chain in the Persona universe. You see it several say, times yeah. throughout the game. And uh, he treats his employees like shit and is like a very absent father towards her. And recently to like strike a business deal with another uh, company, he's trying to marry her off to the son of another billionaire. She doesn't want to get married and that guy treats her like shit. And she has really no say in the matter. She's also like a freshman and is getting married off like literal child marriage. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember that. And so you got to go into her dad's palace to like change his heart and make sure she doesn't get married off to a jerk. And so it's uh it's interesting. It's a very good, very good dungeon. Um the whole thing is like space and robot themed. And there is one particular so all of his employees are coded as like robots in the palace. That's how they mm-hmm. appear in his cognition. And there is a part where you're like, man, where are all the robots? You like arrive into a room where there's no robots. But there's like lava and you look down and like all the robots are being placed on a conveyor belt into like an incinerator and being melted down. And I was like, wow, I'm getting like major Jeff Bezos vibes here. Um, This is a lot. Uh, But I was like, wow, solidarity with Persona 5. (laughs) Wow. Based Persona 5. (laughs) Based Persona 5, honestly. You don't often get to say that the Persona series are based. I feel like most often you have to make excuses for the things you're seeing. Yeah, you have to be like, listen, I know there's like, (laughs) they got to put in some transphobia about once every 20 hours. I got to sprinkle it in there. It's the the Shin Megami Tensei devs, like, uh, it's their emotional support transphobia. They they just have to have it in the game. So fucking annoying. Um... But yeah, this is a it's a good dungeon. This boss fight is fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the classic RPG, like defeat waves of enemies and you have to kill them all at the same time or else they all respawn uh, type of thing. And they will cast debuffs on you that will like decrease your accuracy or will increase the defense of one of the enemies. So that one's it's harder to kill all of them at the same time. I hate that and shit so much. It's just like, ugh. and then there's a time limit. So that's just like screaming at you while you're, you know, playing it, like the number going down. Yeah. And so it just like pissed me off. And so I, I've been playing this run on merciless mode and I turned it down to normal. I was just like, I am so fucking over it. Get me out of this like robot hell. Yeah. Um. So I got out of that. Now comes the like interesting part of this game. Mm-hmm. like the royal part of this game because everything oh. else has been like basically 95% just normal Persona 5 with the exception of like some cool updates and you know uh, the link with Kazumi don't you I've have already... a link with a catchy too I feel like that wasn't yes, in the actually, original actually yes one. yeah yeah. so the link with Kazumi the link with the catchy and a couple of updates so I would say was, like my playthrough so far has been about Let's say about 85% normal Persona 5. Hmm. But this is the part where I think I'm going to start to see the like more royal part 
Because I'm going to get to the casino, and I know that's when you start getting involved, more involved with the catchy. And this is when, like, the the game where you're like, I thought I already beat this game, is actually, like, longer. So I'm going to be very interested in how this all shakes out. I've also been told that, like, I'm in the month of August, I believe, or September at this point, and... Mm -hmm. I've been told that December is when you have to make very specific dialogue choices that yeah. will earn you the royal ending. Uh, so you could end up with the normal Persona 5 ending if you fuck it up. Yeah, so, it's the it's the who killed Nanako problem where it's like, yeah. save your game, make sure you don't press the X button yeah. a little too fast. <laughs> yeah. So, gonna be duplicating some files. <laughs> yeah, really. So That's cool. That's it's pretty much where I am, though. But I've been really enjoying it. It's interesting to me that most of the additional content does come at the end because I don't know. I think back to like four golden, which I haven't played, but I've read a lot about, and then three Fez and even three portable, where it's like the additional content either radically reshaped the game from the ground up or it was, you know, like kind of just added on top the way like the answer was or. Yeah. The additional social link in Persona 4 Golden. So it's kind of interesting that this is a little bit of both. It's not like as radical of a departure as like Persona 3 Portable, but it is no. like adding stuff in the actual game. Yeah. And there's like a lot of stuff I you can do in the Velvet Room and like other things that are not in the original Persona 5. So I would say it's like it's a mix of like it's not completely backloading it like for Golden. Mm-hmm. But it's not completely transforming the entire plot in like way you interact with people like yeah. three portable. It's something secret third thing. Um so yeah, that's that's what I've been up to. Um nice. I did want to shout out, I've been reading this really cool book called Let's Get Physical. Hmm. Um it's about the history of how exercise was marketed towards women in the United States. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting. Um that does sound interesting. It is. And the interesting thing is like back in like pre world war ii women were encouraged to like stay fit so they could like help their husbands on the farm and like raise their kids and shit and housework was very labor intensive like hand washing clothes all day and stuff but then men left to fight world war ii and so women started working in factories and like having like outside of the home jobs and when men came back they were like intimidated that women were like so strong and so capable. Yeah. And so that's why there was such a big like housewife push in the 1950s and like the re domesticization of women. Um, yeah. Women in the 1950s actually married younger on average than their mothers did. Like that's how hard the anti feminist backlash was. Yeah. Post World War II. Like the average age of marriage in a woman post-World War II, like, immediately, was, like, 20, whereas their moms were getting married at, like, 25. Holy like, this shit. was just a really fascinating um, shift, and so there was that, and then there was, like, the Cold War yeah. also, per- like, affected how we perceived women's bodies, because, like, in the U.S., there was this really strong sense of, like, we have to be the opposite where the Soviets were, and, mm-hmm. like, Soviet Union, like, men and women were, like, hella strong, yeah. And like encouraged to exercise and like, I guess, display the strength of communism. And like, and at so, least on paper, meant to be yeah. treated as equals. Yeah. With like men, yeah, more marriage options and yes. more contraceptive options. Yeah. Yes. And so the US did the opposite by basically just like shoving women back into the kitchen and being like, you can't exercise. Like, you have to appear weak. 
Um, and that was just like really, really fascinating. So like it coincided with like the feminist movement, like the second wave movement. And so it's just, just a really fascinating uh, like history book. Like I yeah. realized that I take bar class sometimes, which is like a fusion of like dance and Pilates. Mm-hmm. And I, that book talks about the history of bar and bar was literally invented to help 1950s housewives like have better sex. Huh. <laughs> Isn't that like, that's like super weird. Like I just yeah. go there to like do some like cardio burn and whatever I do it for fun. But it was like, it was, <laughs> it was invented for that. And I thought that was like really fascinating. Um, that's so interesting. Yeah. And so, yeah, let's get physical. It's a really good book. I checked it huh. out at my local library. Um, and then spouse review, Jesse played or attempted to play Horizon Forbidden West for about like three hours mm-hmm. and he quit. Um, he was like really bored by it. And I was really surprised because he liked Zero Dawn. Oh, OK. Um, and he's like he likes certain open world games. He likes Elden Ring. He liked Breath of the Wild. But this one did not cut it for him. And interesting. The reason why because I asked, I was like, yeah, but you liked the original Horizon game. Like, what's the deal? And he was like, the whole appeal of an open world game was being introduced to a new world, but I've already kind of seen this world. Like, I've seen, like, the robot dinosaurs. Like, I, I've kind of seen I see. most of the shit. And I got me thinking, too. I was like, oh, I, I didn't realize, like, yeah, open world games do rely, like, a lot on its novelty. Yeah. And it got me thinking about Tears of the Kingdom, and I'm like, man, I hope I hope they put enough new stuff in there that yeah. I don't feel like bored. But I mean, like he's got a tractor, and you can ride the tractor up into the sky. So like, I think we'll be fine. I think the difference is that like Nintendo knows that that's what they're up against, and I'm not saying that the Horizon devs didn't, but like, I think I think Nintendo of all companies, I would hope would be cognizant of the the need to do something more than just reskin something, especially in terms of like 3D exploration. Like that's usually something Nintendo is pretty good about. So fingers crossed there. But that's that is interesting because that's the exact experience I had with Zero Dawn. I like picked it up cheap. I played it for about three hours and I was just so bored. Like the world was interesting enough, but it had like it had like a fusion of my least favorite open world things, which is like you had to you had to pick up a bunch of like completely arbitrary resources to be able to make stuff, which is always like so annoying. It's mm. like Elden Ring did that perfectly because I could just like mindlessly mash triangle and pick up berries while I was on the back of my horse. Yeah, and I didn't even have to think about it. Blink, blink, blink. Yeah, Whereas like so Zero fun. Dawn was like, uh oh, you can't make that kind of arrow. You need to go get fire weed. And I'm like, I don't want to fucking go look for this weed. <laughs> and then Literally. it would also like force me to go into story cutscenes, but it was the kind of cutscenes where I had to like walk around and interact with things. Not quite as bad as like the Assassin's Creed walk alongside this person, but they walk slower than your walking or faster than your walking speed, but slower than your running speed. So you're constantly trying to like stay up with them. But it was still very much like the game wanted you to engage with this story actively. But that active engagement was like walk around and look at things while the game talks to you and like, ah, yeah. 
walking simulator vibes. It's it's just like the pacing thing, you know? It's like when an open world game shows you its world and is like, you're going to get to do whatever you want. But then in order to progress the story, it has to grind the pace to a halt so that it can be like, you have to look at this and listen to this audio log. And it's just like, man, I, I don't want to do this. Yeah, it's it just seems like a bunch of tasks. And not in like yeah. an Animal Crossing way, which is yeah. like, yes, I will fish and pay off my $3 million mortgage. Like, that's a great time. Yeah. It's like, these are like bad tasks. So yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much all we had on that. What about you? So... My main thing is uh, I knew I was going to be moving around this weekend and I wasn't going to be at home in front of my TV, but I really wanted to play Fire Emblem Path of Radiance. So I decided that I would split the difference and uh, start Fire Emblem Echoes Shadows of Valentia on my 3DS because I knew I would have my 3DS on me. I was going to be in the car a lot. We were moving around. Uh, This is a really good one of these. I'm really enjoying this. Fire Emblem... So Fire Emblem Echoes colon Shadows of Valentia was the last 3DS Fire Emblem game that was released before they went to like work on the Switch games. They I, I would be willing to wager they were probably working on Three Houses when they were working on this one. And it's really interesting because it is a remake of an NES game. And the other NES games that Fire Emblem has remade or that Intelligent Systems and Nintendo have remade tend to do this thing where they don't change enough from the original NES release that like it still brings over some of the herky-jerky mechanics. Like Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon on the DS was a remake of Fire Emblem 1 on the NES. And the biggest complaint about that game was that they didn't do enough to change some of the weird quirks of that original NES game, which is that like some of the maps were a little too big and there they the game just throws so much shit at you sometimes. And sometimes there there it's less strategy and more like you are two groups of people running at each other. And like Fire Emblem at its best actually has you thinking about where you're putting your units from turn to turn. And Fire Emblem at its worst is like you just running your characters from point A to point B because the map is too long and your characters are so overpowered that you're not worried about what's going to happen to them. Shadows of Valentia has some of that problem Mm. where it's like, it definitely feels like it's me and the other team running at each other because for some reason this game doesn't have the weapon triangle. I don't know why. Interesting. it's It's very strange. But like, for all of its weird gameplay quirks, because this one was kind of like, I'm trying to think of an analog to like a sequel to a game that took like most of the game's mechanics, but changed a few things. Maybe it's like, uh, Tori, I don't know if you're familiar with, maybe listeners are too, Castlevania 1 to Castlevania Simon's Quest. Does that mean anything yes. to you? Yeah, yes. you know, they added like, they added like weird RPG-ish mechanics to yeah, and it, it the was whole weird. night curse thing. And... It was very strange. This yeah. is kind of like that where like they added more numbers to it and it's not super annoying, but then they did away with the weapons triangle. So it's a little weird, but I don't know. This is it's kind of incredible what they managed to pull out of the 3DS graphically with this game, especially since like Awakening is the other 3DS Fire Emblem game that I've put a lot of time into. This game looks night and day better than Awakening does. It is crazy how much better it looks than Awakening. And it's got these sequences where you go into dungeons and 
the camera is behind your character, a la Byleth running around the cathedral, and you're running around and doing like random encounter tactics battles, basically. Like hmm. it is, but it's giving you like full 3D control to run around a dungeon space and do this on a 3DS game that I'm running on my vanilla or my uh my launch 3DS from 2012. Like it's genuinely that's, nuts yeah, how good it looks. Yeah, that's definitely pushing the limits for sure. Which one do you like better? Uh, what do you mean between what? like Awakening Path of Radiance and, and Oh, I mean this one. I would say. Hmm, that's tough because I think the stories of each games are compelling me for similar reasons, which is that like they they are both sort of about characters who are like not necessarily the crown prince doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to like spoil elements of the story of Shadows of Valentia, but like characters might be royalty and might not be royalty and that kind of thing. I think the combat in Path of Radiance feels much more deliberate. And I feel like I get punished more for putting my characters in the wrong spot. And part of that is because Path of Radiance is the the style of Fire Emblem game where it's like battle story, battle story. And I don't ha- I can't go like grind. Shadows of Valentia has a world map. And you get to like, you can go into a dungeon and grind a little bit when you get a new character. And I have done a little bit of that, not a lot. The main, the main thing that makes this game interesting is that it has two protagonists. Their names are Alm and Celica. And like the main thrust of the story is like a love story between these two characters, which I'm finding really compelling. I don't, I don't know if that's like a hot take uh, in the Fire Emblem community, but I find their relationship to be like really sweet and I'm really enjoying it. And Early on, you play the first like chapter of the game is Alm, and it gives you these characters and you're like, OK, this is going to be the foundation of my army with Alm. And then you get another set of characters as Celica, and this is the foundation of your army with Celica. And you're building two separate armies. And early on, it's like Celica's army is very magic user heavy and Alm's is very sword user heavy. And so it's really neat the way it's kind of having you build these separate armies. And then when the world map opens up, you have these two little pawns on the world map that you're moving separately. So it's like you're never bringing Celica's army into a battle with Alm's army. They are always running parallel to each other. And I'm like 12 or 13 hours into this game. Like maybe that changes at the end. But so far, I have two completely independent from each other armies. And it's really cool. Like, I will say most of the characterization falls into like the it has the older style of supports where it's like you only get to have the conversations on the world map and you only you don't know which characters have supports with each other. It's just pure luck. But um, oh, it definitely is the older style of like, hey, tell me how you're doing today. I'm doing pretty good, but I'm a little hungry. Oh, really? <laughs> and that kind of shit. Like, it's yeah, it's pretty it's like support up B rank. You're exactly like, yeah the, car- and the, the guy talks about kind of saying what she likes and he's like i'll die for you i know right i have yeah. one of my characters is like canonically gay though and that kind of that kind of oh. threw me for a loop because like i remember there was all this there was all this hubbub when fire emblem fates which i have not played came out on the 3ds and it was like they had a character who was gay but their support was like they had someone else make them a potion that would make them not gay. What? And people were like, 
hey, oh, if no. you, they were like, hey, Nintendo, thanks for the gay rep, but did they really have to endure conversion therapy? And it was like, Nintendo, oh, why? No, you didn't have to but this do one just like, has a gay dude in it. Like, of course, he's a little like foppish, but like I was in a I was in a support. He's my archer. So he's in a support conversation with one of my other guys and they're talking and he's like, so uh, what do you like to do for fun? And the archer's like, I like to hang out with Valbar, who's the night guy. He's like, I would die for him. And oh. the sword guy's like, calm down, dude. And he's like, no, Valbar is the ideal man. I would die for him. And this it, is, like, you may not like it, but this is peak male performance. But I'm like so used to Nintendo games that this didn't even phase me. I was like, he must just really uh, owe something to this guy. Yeah, and I pulled him up Three on the Houses fire. has a thing where it, one guy is like a real stan of like, Dimitri or something. Exactly, yeah. Dude, it's like, oh yeah, because like, he has like a, a life debt to him. He's just his bro, yeah. Yeah. But then I like pulled him up on the Fire Emblem wiki and it was like, Leon is canonically gay and also loves Valbar. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> shout out, I guess. Um, I'm really enjoying it though. I don't know. I uh, I think I will probably try to complete this one just because I want to see Almond Celica kiss and I got to get there. But it's cute. I'm really enjoying it. As far as 3DS Fire Emblem goes, I think it it rules. Another 3DS game that I put a little bit of time into was uh, Pushmo, the puzzle game. Did yeah, you play so this one? I did not play this one, but I Googled it because I saw it in the doc here. And is it just me or this looks like Katamari? Like the, the Pushmo guy looks like he could be in Katamari. This is so funny. I made a, I made a post about this on the Press Start Tumblr account, completely independent of this conversation. That reads as follows. Hold on, let me go. Let me go find it right here. I need to get back on Tumblr. The uh, the post I made reads: Pushmo and Katamari are the same genre. Games about fun, colorful little dudes because they are. It's like every Pushmo map is like your little red guy, and you have to save like a little baby. And it's kind of like Katamari, where you're saving like all your little colorful cousins. I will say that's probably where the Katamari similarities end because yeah, it's, a puzzle it's just game. the art style for me. Yeah, it's a. Uh, Think like Picross, like you mm-hmm. are given like a finished Picross puzzle, you know, where it's like the dots make like a an image, but then you have to like Catherine pull the blocks out in three dimensions so mm, that you can scale yeah. to the top of this Picross image and you can save the little goofy colorful guy that's at the top. And it's really fun. And it like takes advantage of the 3DS's 3D in a way that I feel like a lot of games don't. I know this game came out early in the 3DS's life cycle. Yeah, it's just like 2011. I'm like, wow, it's pretty It's early. like a classic Nintendo, Nintendo developed puzzle game that's also kind of a tech demo. You know the vibe where it's like early in a game's life cycle or early in a system's life cycle, really show off what the system can do in a way that only Nintendo can. And in this case, it was like utilize the 3D and the depth in a way that a lot of people just weren't. And it's still perfectly enjoyable without the 3D on because the 3D gives me a headache, so I don't really play with it a whole lot. But it's really cute. I think they they made a couple of these. There's like two or three Pushmo games on the 3DS, and then there's one on the Wii U. So if like if you're looking through the 3DS store, trying to find some games that you're worried you won't have the opportunity to play after it shuts down, I would recommend Pushmo. It's very cute. It has the same energy as a Picross, where it's like, you can pick up, do two puzzles, and just like close your 3DS and go on about your day. So it's very cute. I like it a lot. I'm trying nice. to think. 
The only other real notable thing other than like getting engaged is that I brought my 3DS with me and uh, we trekked up up Florida a little ways and we went and visited Nathaniel up in up in Gainesville. Oh, um, yeah. Did you brought, street pass anyone? We I street passed him a couple of times. That was pretty fun. <laughs> OK, nice. <laughs> so I, I was going to say I got like three street passes when I was in Gainesville and I think all three of them were Nathaniel. It was just like. I, my green light would come on and I was like, fuck yeah. And I'd open it up and it'd be like, it's Nathaniel. You've met three times. And I was like, well, I'm not not excited about this. But but uh, as far as other street passes that aren't Nathaniel, I'm still batting, batting zero on that one. We did go to a little used video game store in, game, in Gainesville, though, that was really cool. And I nice. bought Nathaniel a copy of the Ocarina of Time 3D. So oh, dude, I'm looking yeah, forward to him it. playing. Oh my God. Yeah, he's never played it. I'm looking forward to hearing him talk about it because I bought it for him. So. Has he ever played a Zelda game? Uh, I think he's played a Zelda before. Maybe. I'm not sure. Now that now that we're saying it, I'm not sure. We'll have to ask him. Yeah. I just figured, you know, like uh, he was letting us sleep at his house and it was cheaper and more fun for me to purchase Ocarina of Time 3D for him than it was for me to pay for like room and board for several days. So Yeah, that's a, that's a solid gift. It was a solid gift. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. But that's kind of that's kind of all I got as far as games. I don't know. Do you want to? Yeah, that's pretty much up here? that's pretty much it for us this week. Uh, thanks so much for sticking around. And seriously, thanks for letting us be able to play the same game for six weeks and still talk about it. <laughs> that's the best thing about this show. So. I love I love when we record and I can just go, Tori, what Shin Megami Tensei RPG are you playing right now? And we can just talk about it. It's great. It's great. I will, I will say, um, I think it was all the talk about Metroid Prime kind of got me thinking, like, once I once I beat this Fire Emblem or one of these Fire Emblems that I'm playing right now, I think I want to play something that's not an RPG. I feel like yeah. I'm a little RPG'd out for a little me bit. Me too. Here. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm going to be looking at, like, my catalog of, like, non-RPGs, things I want to play. So, I don't know. Yeah. I I'm considering kind of doing the same thing. I mean, like Zelda games have RPG elements, but like I wouldn't consider them to be like a hardcore RPG. I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. But like I am considering playing like Minish Cap because that was what the, the poll results yielded. That's true. Uh, That's true. Shout out to or, that poll. Yeah. Or Breath of the Wild even. So I definitely want something where I can just run up to enemies and kill them. I think that's probably a better move. Next yeah. time I play something. So that's kind of what I was thinking. I I'm trying to think a uh, short list of things I want to play. I want to play Control on the PS4. Never played that one. Heard it was very good. I want to play Death Stranding. I want to play Ooh, I want to play Death Stranding. One of the games that's like high up on my list of things that I'm gonna sit down and play one of these days is the original Bioshock. Because I've still never played that. And I own it on the PS3. And I'm like, I feel like just as a as a gamer i really ought to just like play bioshock at some point yeah as a style of gamer it's just one of those things that's like i feel like i ought to i ought to play it and i played like a few hours of it one time and i thought it was fun enough and i know it like mocks ayn rand and i don't like ayn rand so i'm i'm, I'm for that but i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah i i think you and i should probably try to play either death stranding or bioshock together I think that'd be fun. That'd be a fun yeah. conversation. We can play Bioshock and read the Fountainhead and then uh, talk about that experience on the show. <laughs> yeah, it'd be wonderful. That'd be awesome. That'd be great radio. Um, <laughs> Tori, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore as underscore always. You can find me on Twitter um, 
I'm probably not gonna go full. I'm not going full wife guy mode on Twitter because uh, I'm really just trying to tweet, treat Twitter like a uh, journalist LinkedIn nowadays, like journalist mm. and video game LinkedIn. Like, I I don't really want to tweet a whole lot of personal stuff on there, but I am still on Twitter at Noah underscore Hertz, spelled H U R T S. The podcast is on Twitter at press underscore start pod, and we're on Tumblr at press hyphen start pod. Thank you to the artist Geist for the use of their, their music for our intro and outro, and for the and to the artist Palette Knife for the use of the track Damn Sun Dim Sum and that little interlude there in the middle. Um, their Bandcamp link and all their information will be in the episode description. Thank you to Kai from Wisp Graphics for our logo. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can DM us on Twitter, message us on Tumblr, uh, email us at heypressstart at gmail.com with video game recommendations or how you're feeling on any given day. I don't know, whatever the hell. Other than that, I think that's about it. Any any closing thoughts, Tori? Any, any thoughts about the state of play you watched? <laughs> Man, <laughs> not really, but um, let's, uh, yo, spring is approaching. Mm-hmm. It's where we're approaching ice coffee season, hot girl season. Very true. Um, so I would say get your little ice coffee and take a hot girl walk to your local game store. And purchase Dead or Alive 3. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for listening.